really excited about this morning. I want to talk this morning about uh, the presence of the Lord. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33 uh, this morning. Exodus chapter 33, the title of the message is very basic, it's just presence, that's it. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. I know that was a very hard transition from announcements to, hey, we're preaching now, all right. But here we are. Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. We there? We ready? I hear some page turning. I'm wait. All right, here we go. Where the Lord says this, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, thank you that you're so good to us. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us today. Lord, that those would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word today, that it would not be my word spoken, but yours spoken through me, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive what it is that you want to speak to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you growing up, you, you, would, you were really kind of, you, didn't, you weren't a risk taker. You didn't, you didn't necessarily want to take risks. You didn't want to necessarily do things that made you uncomfortable. And so you had to have your parents do it with you. Or, or maybe when, when you're parenting, you had to like try the food before your, your child would try it. Anybody do that? No, one, one two people, great, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> maybe there's a different way of parenting. I don't know, I'm not a parent yet, so here we are. Uh, but I, I remember specifically, I was, I was like this, is sometimes I'm a very play it safe kind of person. I don't necessarily like taking risks. I don't necessarily like, like putting my neck out there. I don't necessarily like feeling uncomfortable. And so I, I'm, I'm not a risk taker. And my dad is one that would push me when I was younger to take risks. And, and so there was this one time I remember, uh, there was this, uh, there's this water park near where I live called Whitewater. And it's a, it's a giant water park. It's got a wave pool. It's got all these things. And it's got this hundred foot slide that just goes down, right? And so if you're, if you're going fast enough and if you are large enough, it's like a skipping, you're like a skipping rock. That's what it is. All right. And so I'm like, I don't want to go on this. This is terrifying. Like, not only that, but like I'm winded halfway up the stairs because we're just getting, it's so tall, right? And I remember when I was a kid, my dad was like, I'll go with you. We're like, all right, cool. Yeah, okay. Okay, you'll go with me. Yeah, all right. And so I remember we, we, we did the long walk up, you know, and you could, the wind would blow and it would kind of sway just a little bit, right? And so you, you'd have that and, and, and you get all the way to the top and, and, and I'm just looking at my dad and, and I'm like, are you, are you sure this is what we want to do? Like we're, this could be our last, any last words that you want to give to me, right? 
And so we get in, and then, and then the, the lifeguard says go, and then we, we, we're off, right? And we, we take the plunge all the way down, and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you get in there and in that place, and, and you're at the very end in the pool, and you walk out, and you're like, let's go again, right? Like, that was great. That was amazing. But, but we had to have, I had to have my dad with me at the beginning in order for us to get to that place, Right? And so much so, the presence of the Lord must go with us in order for us to get to the place that he wants to take us. In this passage, we see specifically that, that Moses is talking to the Lord and asking the Lord for, for his presence to be with him. We see Moses and Joshua, they're meeting with God at the tent of meeting. This is after the golden calf incident. So the golden calf incident is one chapter before this. God is angry with his people. He, he tells Moses, I'm just going to wipe everybody out and start fresh just with you because I'm done with these people. And Moses pleads for them and he goes down, right? And he, and he, he, he pleads for their souls, essentially. They go down, they repent, they, they go through and, and cleanse the entire camp. And now God is still angry with his people. In this passage, we see that Moses is restoring the covenant that God's making with, that God has made with his people. Earlier in this passage in, in Exodus 33, God tells Moses to go and lead the people into the promised land, but he doesn't say that he's going with them. He says, go, and I'm going to send an angel with you. This is what it says in Exodus 33, 1 through 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. What God is saying is, is he's, he's saying you guys have messed up so badly and continue to mess up so badly that if I were to go with you, I would kill you all. I can't deal with you anymore. I'm not, I'm not putting up with this stuff because my standard is up here and none of you are even want to reach that standard. And so Moses, he, he, he this is the command that, that God gives Moses and and he even tells the people, and the, and the people are in mourning after, after this, that small passage there. The people are, are in mourning. They're, they're crying and wailing out. Why? Because God says, I don't want to go with you. I'm just going to send an angel with you because I don't want anything to do with you anymore. It's almost like, you know, I'm just here to fulfill the promise that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't really love you as much anymore because you're wicked. That's what God is saying in this. And it's from this command of God that we see Moses' response in the passage in Exodus 33, 12 through 16. It's a really, really hard conversation that, that he's having with the Lord. I think, I think it's, it's one of those, they set up the, the tent of meeting, and it talks about how Moses and, and Joshua would be in the tent of meeting. And, and when, when Moses would leave, Joshua would stay with the Lord. And a little bit after that, he would linger in the tent. And now Moses and Joshua are both in the tent and, and, and the, the presence of the Lord is coming down and, and Moses begins to have this conversation and it's, it's a really difficult conversation. It's a conversation had and, and can only be had by, by, with faith and with courage that the Lord provides. 
And so it's interesting, this conversation, he's pleading with God that, God, you need to lead us. He says this in verse 12, when you look at it, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not led me, let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. What do you say? If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. What he's essentially saying here is if you have chosen me to lead your people and are pleased with me, continue to be with me. If, if you're really truly pleased with me, don't leave me before the promise you have made is fulfilled. Because the shortcomings of all these people, don't, don't, don't leave me because of these people over here that are acting like foolish people. Stay with me. If you're pleased with me, I need you to be with me. This is Moses' moment of courage. It's, it's a lot like Jacob's moment when he wrestles with the Lord. This kind of likens itself back to that. Genesis chapter 32, verse 26. Jacob is alone and, and he is, he's waiting for his brother. And there's a man that shows up out of nowhere. This is an angel of the Lord and, and begins to wrestle with Jacob. And, and Jacob essentially has him in a headlock. And, and the angel says, it says this, And the man said, this is the angel, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is that, that moment of courage and faith. Jacob, I'm, I'm pretty sure, knew full well who he was wrestling. He knew what was going on. And yet his courage and his faith was, I'm not going to, to let you go until you bless me. Very much so, Moses' response to God is, I will not leave this tent. I will not leave this place unless you're with me. Anywhere I go, he even says that right in verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. What's he saying? He's saying, if, if you're not going to be with us, then there's no point in us going. If you're not with us, there's, there's no reason. God agrees. He, says, he even says in verse 14, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That I will give you rest. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a term used in, in sitting there and saying, I will bring you to the place, the promised land where I've promised you. You will find rest finally. You'll finally be in the place that I've promised to your ancestors. You'll finally be in the place flowing with milk and honey. You'll finally be to that, in that place and you'll have rest fully. I'll give you rest and I'll be with you. And is Moses' response, right? Verse 15. Incredibly simple and yet incredibly powerful. I don't want to go anywhere if you're not with us. If your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want it. He then backs it up with making the case for a people set apart because of God's presence, right? He says, he says well, how are the nations going to know that, that we are your chosen people if you don't go with us? If, if, if you go with us, then the whole world will know, all of creation will know that we are your chosen people. Why? Because the God of the universe is with us and not with them. And so you must go with us. You, you must for, for your own glory. I love Moses here. He's, he's kind of he's doing this thing of like God is for his glory, right? And so he's like, he's like, God, it's for your glory that we're doing this. We need your presence with us because you're awesome. And so he's making that case. And he, he backs it up with that, 
the whole world will know, everyone will know that we are your people on the face of the earth. I'm not going anywhere unless you're with me. We will not move out. We will not tear down camp and go set up another camp unless you are with us. The mark of the people of God is God's presence. This is what Moses is saying. The world will know us, that we are God's people by his presence. And in the same way, that's exactly what we should be doing today. I wonder how many of us and how often we say this in our lives, God, if you're not going with us, we're not going to go. God, if you're not for this, I'm not for it either. Lord, I want to be a people, we want to be a church that is marked by your presence. We can do all of these great things for the kingdom, but if the presence of God isn't in it, there's no reason. It's important that we understand the presence of the Lord. It's important that we understand and we wait on and wait for the presence of the Lord. The question that I have for us today is God's presence with you. Is God's presence with you? See, I don't, I don't think we ask this question often enough. I think we make decisions and we do things in our lives and God's presence isn't necessarily with us at all. There's, there's things that can overtake the, the presence of the Lord in our lives. One of those things is our past. Sometimes we choose past over the presence of the Lord. Well, this is the way that God did it when I was younger, and so therefore I'm waiting for him to do that same thing again. And so therefore, the presence of God that's, that's walking right beside you, you miss it. Why? Because you're waiting. Because that's not how it was before. Or maybe you look at your past and you would sit there and say, why would God ever go with me? My past is so messed up. My, my, I've messed up so many times. Why would the presence of the Lord be with me at all? And so what we do is we choose the past of, of by the way, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so if you would sit there and say, well, my past dictates the presence of God in the future, then you would, you would be wrong and you need to change your theology. Our past does not dictate the presence of God. God going with you, God being with you, God empowering you, God speaking through you and speaking to you is not dictated by how messed up you were in the past. And so we cannot choose past over the presence of God. Sometimes we choose our own preferences over the presence of God. We'd sit there and say, well, this way is more comfortable. This way is, is easier. The, I, I just want to be comfortable in, in this. And, and this is, is not my preference. I don't like going and talking to people about Jesus. I don't like necessarily living my life out in a holy way. 
It's not my preference. If, if, I had, if I had a preference of how we were going to do worship, it definitely wouldn't have been with all those technical difficulties this morning. If I had the preference. And yet, we put preference over presence of the Lord. You know, Jesus in, in Matthew 16, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, follow me, and take up your cross. God... God very rarely, hear me, very rarely calls us into comfortability. If, he, if, if, if a voice is telling you to go be comfortable, it might not be the voice of the Lord. I'm not saying there's not rest. There is rest in the Lord. There's a difference between rest and comfortability. Comfortability brings apathy, lulls the church to sleep because we'd rather be comfortable. We'd rather not step on toes. We'd rather not offend. I'd rather have the presence of the Lord. Just imagine the, what, what Peter would have been like if he was on that boat and Jesus was in, in the Sea of Galilee and calling to him, right? And Peter's essentially like, he's bluffing at that moment, right? You, you, if you read it, he's like, he's like, all right, if you really are Jesus, then call out to me. And Jesus is like, come here. He's like, well, now I got to do it, right? And I wonder if, if his preference of being comfortable would have changed that entire story versus his preference of being with the presence of Jesus out there. We cannot choose preference over presence. So many of us, maybe, maybe it's not preference, maybe it's not the past, but maybe, maybe we choose to have a platform over the presence of God. We would rather be seen and recognized for what we do for the kingdom than actually being in the presence of God. We'd rather be proclaimed as this wonderful volunteer or, or, or this incredible pastor, this incredible leader of a ministry or, or whatever that looks like. And, and yet at the same time, we deny the presence of God. Why? Because we're chasing so much so the applause of man. We chase so much so the, the words and the, the acceptance of other people around us. And, and that's how we live our lives. And brothers and sisters, with that orphan heart, be free. You want so badly to be recognized. And yet the presence of God is all around you. Why don't you recognize the presence? I said this to students when I was a youth pastor, but, but it's, it's, it's so important for us that, that we elevate God. That when, when this happens, when you elevate God, God elevates you. He honors those that honor him. It's the law of the harvest. It's important for us to know this. It's not that I, we're not going around being like, man, how great is Emmanuel? It's, it's the most wonderful church you'll ever go to. It's, it's super cool. And, and look at all these reels and everything that you can watch and, and all these stories and everything. Oh, so we just want the presence of God. Come and experience it yourself. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with social media or churches that are on social media. I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying is that if we are so much so consumed by the platform that we or the church has that we neglect the presence of God being in our church, then we need to rethink some things. Because at the end of the day, the presence of the Lord is the most important thing. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. What does he say? Your kingdom come. What he's saying is your presence here. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's worship of God. And then the first thing they ask, we need your presence. We need your kingdom. Some of us, we don't struggle with those three, but maybe we struggle with performance. We, we choose performance over preference. This is something that I see in, in, in just church culture in general. How much can you serve? How much can you do? All of these things. And don't get me wrong, you should serve. If you're not serving, you should. But you shouldn't only serve and neglect the presence of God. You shouldn't only show up when it's time, when it's a Sunday that you're serving and then don't come to church on the rest of the days. The reason is, is because this is the, this is the place that the presence of God is, is in this place, is everywhere, but we want you to have a, an encounter with Jesus. We want you to, to be able to, to not have any distractions when it comes to the presence of the Lord. And that's why this place is important. Being in here is important on a Sunday. If you volunteer, you're important because you get to alleviate and allow individuals to, have, to experience the presence of God. But you also need to be in this place sometimes. And so we can sit there and we can, what can we do for the kingdom? What can I do? And, and many of us are doers and it comes from a place that, that is, a, is a good heart. It comes from a place to serve the kingdom. And yet at the same time, we would sit there and say, I'd rather serve than actually be in the presence. First Samuel chapter 15. Saul has been commanded by the Lord. He's king at that point. He's been commanded by the Lord to wipe out the Amalekites completely. Kill them all. Every single one of them. Even their cows and their sheep. All of them. And what does Saul do? He doesn't do that. This is where Saul loses his anointing as king. Because he's, he, he's in the mindset of, I'd rather have the performance, my performance over the presence of God. And so what he does is he keeps the king and he keeps, uh, and he keeps part of the herds of the cattle and the livestock. And Samuel rolls up and he's like, how did it go? And Saul's like, we won. It was great. It was amazing. And Samuel's like, wait a minute. What? I hear some sheep in the background. What, what's going on? Like somebody got a white noise machine playing? Like what's happening? What's going on? And Saul's like, well, Here's the thing. I thought my performance, I thought what I could do was we would actually just sacrifice all of these sheep to the Lord. 
And so that's why we kept him. I know that God commanded us to, to do this. I know that his presence, you know, is, is, is one of those of holiness and, and, and wants to be rid of anything that would, uh, that would come into to contact that would be wicked and unholy like the Amalekites. But I just figured, you know, these, these things that the Amalekites own, they're not necessarily wicked. They're not necessarily evil. So, so we, could just, we could just sacrifice them to God and, and God would be pleased with us. And Samuel, he goes, he says, it's better for you to have obeyed God than to sacrifice to him. And then what does Samuel do? He takes a sword and he goes to town. Kills everything. Takes the king and kills the king. Why? Because it's better for us to obey. It's better for us to be in the presence of God to follow the presence of God, to be with the presence of God, than it is for us to have a performance issue with the presence of God. And maybe some of us, we, we bring our, our perception in and our perception of the presence of God over, overturns the actual presence of God. What I mean by that, I mean that, you know, I think we sometimes get to this place in our lives where we make decisions and we're like, I think God would want me to do this. Or, you know what, I think God would be happy if I did this. I think God is in this. And so our perception is, is, that, is that God is blessing these things when the reality is, is his presence isn't even going there. And so we make decisions in our lives and we start moving towards that decision in our lives and the reality is is that God has not blessed it. God's presence isn't in it. And, and yet we choose that our perception of what God wants is actually what we want in the reality. And we don't wait for the presence of God and we just decide that we're going to make this decision and this is it. I think God is here. I think God would want me to do this. 1 Kings chapter 19, the prophet Elijah, in the chapter before, showed up 500 false prophets of Baal. They did a big kind of show to see who actually, whose God is actually God, and Baal didn't show up, and God did. Shocker. After that, Jezebel, the queen of the time, an evil, wicked woman, puts out a hit on Elijah, scared, even though he just stood up and, and faced 500 prof false prophets. Gets, becomes afraid, he runs away. And, and in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see that Elijah's in this place called Horeb. It's a mountainous area, and he's, he's waiting in a cave. And God comes to him, and he's, he goes, what's going on? Why are you here? And Elijah tells this sob story about how he's the only one left and all of these different things. And God just says, okay, well, just wait for my presence. And it's incredible what happens because there, there's four things that happen while he's waiting in the cave. The first thing is there's this, there's, it says that there's this mighty wind, and it even talks about it toppling mountains. Like, that's how crazy this wind is. That there's this giant tornado that comes, 
I don't know how long Elijah's there. Just imagine if this was like within the span of 30 minutes, right? Giant tornado comes, then an earthquake comes, then a great fire comes. Just imagine if this is all back to back, like not even a day, like just within like 20 minutes, you know, before you're even done with the nightly news, like that all happens. And it says after each one of those, a mighty wind came rushing in. It could move mountains. It was so great. And the Lord wasn't in it. And then, and then this, this great earthquake happened and, and it shook the whole foundations of, of, of the mountain and, and all of these things and, and the Lord wasn't in it. And then a great fire came and there's this, this huge fire that, that happened right outside of the cave and the Lord wasn't in it. Now what's interesting is if we would sit there and say perception over presence, we would sit there and say, well, what, what, what was the sound that happened in Acts chapter 2 during the, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? It was, a, it was a great wind, right? And so the Spirit of the Lord was in that, so why wouldn't he be in this one over here? The perception is there's this great wind. Earth, earthquake. Well, wasn't there a time where where Israel disobeyed God, and, and because of that, God's wrath shook the earth and swall- the earth literally swallowed up people. Well, that's, that's the presence of God, isn't it? It's, it's God's wrath, the, the shaking of the earth, isn't that? Our perception is that's God's presence, right? Well, what, what did God use to, to lead the people of Israel by night? Was that like, it was like a, it was a, oh, a column of fire, right? And so if God's presence was there, well, surely God's presence is in this random fire that decided to come up. Or even, I don't know, a couple days before, whenever he calls down fire from heaven and it happens, isn't that the presence of God? Isn't isn't that God sending down fire? And yet the Spirit of God, the presence of God was not in those things. Why? Because perception wasn't the thing that prevailed with Elijah. It was the presence of God. The Spirit of the Lord wasn't in any of those great, grand demonstrations that have been used in the past of the presence of God. No, the Spirit of the Lord was in a gentle whisper. A cool breeze that came through the cave. I know you can't hear me because that's what it was like. The presence of God was there in that gentle whisper that came from the entrance of the cave. It wasn't in any of the grand perceptions of God. It was in this small little whisper. The presence of the Lord is the most important thing. Had a phone call with a owner of a, a bookstore on the east side, a Christian bookstore on the east side, and we were talking about partnering with them on Wednesday nights to, to do something in their community, to love on their community, pray for their community. And he said, you know, the, the most powerful time that I was here, that, that, that this was here, when we did an outreach, we had an evangelist come, and 
and we were ready to go and, and we were all getting ready and the evangelist said, stop and sit down. We're not going anywhere. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, these people need to know Jesus. Like, we got to go tell them. Come on. And he's like, no, no, we're not moving a single foot until the presence of God is here. And so they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And he said, you know what? There was like a, a mini revival that broke out that moment because the presence of God was the most important thing. There were people that were in, in stores across the street crying because the presence of God was so heavy. The presence of the Lord is the most important thing. And we should live our lives sitting there and saying, Lord, wherever it is that you want me to go, I will not go there unless you're with me. You must be with me. Otherwise, I don't go. I think I've, I've shared this story of, of, of my call to, to ministry. I, I wanted to serve the Lord, but I didn't want to serve the Lord in ministry. I had no want to be a pastor. Uh, I, I thought the pastors were really nice, and I wasn't. And so I was like, you know what? It's the, these, these pastors, they put up with a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I, I just, I don't think I can put up with that stuff. And so I'm good. Uh, I'll, I'll be, I wanted to be a chef. And so I wanted to cook. I wanted to make a lot of money and, and even, and, and give that money to the Lord. I, I wanted to, I wanted to open up my own restaurant and, and, and don't steal this. All right. If you, if you're any restaurateurs in here, you come talk to me. All right. But, uh, but I wanted to have this restaurant called Gleaners, and, and it would be, uh, in, uh, it'd be a two-part restaurant. One part would be for people that would come in and pay for good food, and the other part would be for people in need can come, and we would, we would increase the price a little bit of everybody that's coming on the other side in order to give good food to people in need. And that was my heart. That was my one. I, I, want, I want to do that. Or like, hey, we're going to be open during the day and at night we're going to feed the homeless. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but, but I was like, Lord, whatever it is, I'll, I'll do this. And in my senior year of high school and even starting in my sophomore year of high school, the Lord was just kind of like, hey, you might want to consider ministry. I remember being at a, at a uh, kids camp, serving at a kids camp, and the Lord was just kind of speaking to my heart and kind of tugging my heart towards ministry. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to cook good food and hang out with people and love on people that way. Like, I don't want to be a pastor. And through all of that, I was just like, Lord, in my senior year of high school, got to that point of even, even other pastors being like, you, have you ever thought that you might be called to be a pastor? I'm like, no, I'm not. My senior year of high school, I remember, I was like, all right, Lord, whatever it is you want for me, I just want your blessing and your presence on it. And so if that's the case, then I need you to open a door and close another one in order for you to move. I'll, I will go wherever it is that you want me to go because your presence is going to be with me. And so there were two schools that I applied for. One of them was a Bible college and one of them was a culinary school. I was like, Lord, whatever it is that you want, your presence will go with me. You'll open a door and close another one. And so at that point, two weeks later, I got an acceptance letter from the Bible college. And then another two weeks after that, I got my rejection letter from the culinary school. And I was like, well, I guess that pretty much solves it. Here we are. 
And I remember even coming up here and, and I remember when I was candidating for being a youth pastor and I was officially offered the position by Pastor Mike and I remember I was in a hotel room and I couldn't sleep that night and so I just, I, I literally, my brother was with me and so I went to the bathroom and, and, closed, and closed the door, turned on the light with my Bible and I was just sitting there and I was like, Lord, I, whatever you want from me, I'll, I'll do it, but you've got to go with me. Your presence has to be with me. And then I just had this overwhelming piece of like, no, this is the place you're supposed to be. Okay. So moved 780 miles from home, didn't know anybody, but the Lord was with me. About four years ago, I wanted to, uh, I had been approached by a couple of churches to be an, a pastor on their team. And, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. Like, will you release me if I go over here? What, what's going on? If, is that something that I can go to? And, and the Lord really was just like, no, my presence is with you here. There's always a choice. You can choose to be out of the presence. It's not going to be as fulfilling. It's not going to be as great. But you can choose to be in the presence of the Lord and it'll be the best thing you can do. It's the best things happen, the best life that you could possibly experience and live. It's not gonna be easier, hear me, but it'll be better in the presence of the Lord. And I remember it was 2019, the Ohio Network Conference. It was, I remember the seat, I, I remember where I was standing. And the Lord was like, nope, my presence is with you here. You're staying. I remember walking out because I had had conversations with the district youth director about these positions. And he's like, what do you think? And I was like, I can't leave Cleveland. I can't, the spirit of the Lord is, the, the presence of God is with me here. And I can't, I can't go somewhere that the presence isn't with me. Fast forward seven, I mean, four years later after that, seven years later, y'all stuck with me. So here we are. I say these things not to sit there and be like, be, be like Pastor Galen. Oh, how great is Pastor Galen? I just, I say these things as an encouragement to you that even in the hardest of times, the presence of the Lord is the best thing. That even in, in, the, in a crossroads of life, when you're considering different paths to take, the first thing you should do is ask for the presence of God to be in that. Oh, that every single one of us in this room would walk in the presence of the Lord. And one of the values that we have here is, is in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the four values that Emmanuel has. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the presence of God. And so we, what we need, what your family needs, what your job needs, what your neighborhood and community needs is not more of you, just the presence of God on you. And I would ask, I'm just going to spend some time. I know we're running late. We'll be all right. Again, the question is God's presence with you.
Is God's presence with you? I just want us, I just want us to answer that question in our hearts. I just want us to, to, to wait for a moment to sit there and say, Lord, I just want your presence. We have to wait. We have to ask and wait some more. My challenge to us is that we would be a people. It's my heart. That the presence of the Lord would never leave Emmanuel, simply of God. That it would never leave this property, but always be here. It's my heart that people would feel the presence of God, just even if they're just walking their dogs on a weekday. But all of that has to do with, Lord, we just want your presence. So when Jesus walks in the room, when the presence of God flows into a place, there's healing, there's redemption, there's revival. All of that is from the presence of the Lord. And we try, and I, we try so much sit there and say, Lord, wherever you would have Emmanuel go, we are not going to go unless you're with us. Any ministry we do, any outreach we do, Lord, we're not going to do it if you're not in it. Because the presence of the Lord is the most important thing. We can love our, on our community as much as we want, but if the presence of God isn't on that event, then it's fruitless. Because the presence of God changes lives. So we're going to pray. And then I'm just going to ask for us just to quietly just spend a few moments and then we'll take communion. Just quietly spend a few moments with the Lord just asking for his presence in our lives, in our home, with our family in our communities, our neighborhoods, our jobs, wherever that would be. I just want us, each of us, individually, just to ask for the presence of the Lord. You need victory over that addiction you've been dealing with, you need the presence of the Lord. You want healing in your body, you need the presence of the Lord. You want healing in your family, you need the presence of the Lord. There's nothing else that compares to that power when the presence of God is here. So let's pray, Father.